Our scripture today comes from the book of Joshua, chapter 24, verses 14 and 15. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This is the word of our Lord. Thank you, team. Was that worship not amazing this morning? As we worship a risen Savior, we don't just do that on Easter. We do that uh, every day of the year. Um, if you would, take out your Bible. Joshua chapter 24 is where we are, and that's where we'll be going this morning in this new series. I don't know about you, but um, when I go on vacation... I love to plan that vacation to a T. Is anybody, anybody with me on that? It's all right. You, like, be proud of raising your hand. So, like, four of us. So, what I, what I mean is this. From a month out, maybe six months out, I begin to look at the average temperature of wherever we're going. How much rain is happening about a month out, I try to see the projected uh, weather, what's happening there. When I, when I get to the point of being about a week and a half out, I'm planning uh, everything based on the temperature. I've already got our restaurants planned. I've got our day, morning, what we're doing at noon, what we're doing in the afternoon. And then and only then can I enjoy my vacation. All right. Some of you, as I'm explaining that, would say, you know what? I would never go with you on vacation. And to that point, you, I guess you don't have to. Um, but that's, that's what I do. I, I love to do that. And some of you are probably similar. You love to to plan and plan and plan and plan and plan. Typically, you and I spend loads of time thinking through things like a vacation, right? There's time that you spend planning uh, anything that's going to cost a great deal of money. You, you, you plan for, you save for, and then you look forward to it for a long time, and then you go on that vacation or you go on that time with your family, and then at the very end of the week, you come back, and guess what? You start planning the next one, right? Because that one is over. And I would say I'm afraid that you and I can spend more time making decisions and choosing what we're going to do this summer, the restaurant we're going to eat at, or how we want to spend that extra money that we have than we do choosing decisions that might make an impact for the rest of our lives or the rest of the lives of our spouse and kids. Decisions that may or may not have a monetary value on it, but decisions that shape the rest of our lives. And you see, it's actually the more mundane choices, the mundane choices that make the biggest impact over the course of your life. Choices uh, that are small and don't seem to be much, but they're substantial over time. But yet we often think about and choose things that are fleeting and only last for a short period of time. And that's not to make anyone feel guilty. I'm one of the worst. I'm one of the worst that, that I, I look forward to what I'm doing next while I'm doing something that I've looked forward to previously. I'm thinking that way, and, and the thing is, that's not how God intended our lives to be. This morning, we're starting a series called The Family, and, and what we're looking at over the next few weeks is what it looks like to have a family that is flourishing. A family that is flourishing, and a flourishing family is not only something that God desires, but if you're in this room, 
something you want as well. Nearly four years ago, our staff spent some time with other leaders of our church, and, and we had been doing church for a, for a long time, but what we, uh, through reading of a couple of books, what we realized is we, we needed a vision that was compelling, something that was going to drive the next 5, 10, 20 years of this church, and over the course of time spent praying and planning the, the vision that we have for this church The vision that we have for this church is this, that families in McDowell and surrounding counties would would flourish. That that families here in McDowell County and in in Burke and and in Mitchell and in Rutherford and in Buncombe and and those where we have people attending from, we, we desire that families in this county and surrounding counties flourish and that's what we want. The heart of the leadership of this church is that by God's grace, people's lives are changed, their households change, and that's why we're doing this series. That's why every year we do a series on the family because we believe in that so much. And here's the thing, seeing families flourish is not an accidental thing. It's not something that just, that just happens. It's like working a garden and it takes time and commitment and hard work. Being an individual or having a family that flourishes takes that same kind of commitment. And this morning, we're going to jump in, and I'm going to ask that you commit to the next few weeks of this series. If you want to see your household shift and the trajectory of your household shift to flourishing the way God would want you to flourish, I would ask that you commit to being a part of this series for the next few weeks. And we're going to jump into the book of Joshua this morning. We see a word that many of you likely know if you've been around church for any length of time, it's something that you likely have on a coffee cup or you've seen it on a t-shirt. Joshua has served God faithfully for years. And now we're at the end of his book and he is about to pass on and he's got some parting words for the leaders of Israel. You see, Joshua knows the issue is that the people that he has led for so long still see God as one of their options not their primary desire. They see God as one of their options for convenience rather than a desire and conviction to serve him. And the Lord will not have this. He's he's done way too much for them, for them to choose him on one day and then choose something else on another day when it's convenient. And as a matter of fact, Joshua 24 begins with, with God speaking through Joshua, reminding the people of how he led Abraham to the promised land. And then how he used Moses to lead the people out of captivity and how he's fought battles for them to take back the promised land. And look at what Joshua 24, 13 says. I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities that you had not built and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. God has given these people this land and now Joshua challenges them to make a decision and to choose what not only would impact their life, but generations to come. He tells the people in light of all that God has done for them to serve the Lord faithfully. He speaks this famous verse. He says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua is drawing the proverbial line in the sand saying that that under his care and under his leadership, his family, his household will serve God and serve God alone. 
Now, I know when you hear the word household, we automatically think husband, wife, and two kids. And the implication here is that Joshua is speaking of family, but the term household covers a bit more than simply the nuclear family. Here's what I mean. He says, to every household, whether you have a spouse or you have a spouse and kids or you're single, living on your own, this covers you. Because you may think as a single person sitting in this room, and we have uh, many of you that, that a household only matters when you have a spouse and when you have a family. But I would say that if, if you and your home now with just you don't begin to serve the Lord now, it's not going to come so easy when you have a spouse and kids. To every household, he says, serve the Lord. So the foundation for every, every flourishing Christian household is one that is serving God faithfully and intentionally. One that is serving God faithfully and intentionally. One in which God is not simply put first, but one in which Jesus is at the center. You see, because I've thought about this, and when we place, when we say God is first in my life, that implies that something could be a close second. But God and, and Jesus' work in our life is intended to be the center, affecting everything else around it. So if that's the case, we have two things this morning that that we must do if we're going to have a flourishing family. And the first one is this, choose what you worship. Choose what you worship. Joshua says, fear the Lord. This doesn't mean fear like being afraid per se. This, this word fear means to, to be captured uh, with awe and reverence. It's like one time I shared this years ago, but it's worth sharing again. I had the opportunity to meet uh, a, a pastor who I had followed for years and looked up to, and, and I was in line waiting to meet him. And when I was, I, like I became more jittery than I am right now on like four cups of coffee. And I was super, super jittery. I didn't know what to say. And I was, I was like, what, what am I going to say when I get in front of this guy? What, how, like what, I'm not going to ask for anything, like a picture or anything like that. And right before I meet him, my wife, Whitney, taps me on the back and she simply says these words. She says, Adrian. So yeah, she says, whatever you do, don't hug him. And, and, and I, I was like, why do you say that? Well, it's because years before I'd got to meet somebody famous and without even thinking, just gave him a big hug. And she said, Adrian, don't do that. So when I got up to him, I, I, I said from the get-go, I'm not going to ask for a picture. So what do I do first thing? Hey, do you care if we get a picture? Uh, and that's what I do. The whole time, I'm, I'm just, I'm literally kind of like in awe. Like I'm about to meet somebody that I followed for years. Whitney, on the other hand, is just cool as a cucumber. She's just like, yeah, you're about to meet this guy. No big deal. Well, see, what, what I would say is, is the, the kind of awe that I was in was this fear, like, oh, my goodness, I'm about to meet someone that I think is famous. Fearing the Lord means he captures your attention and respect in so big a fashion that other things in your life are minimized. It doesn't mean other things in your life don't matter. But God captures your affection and your attention so much that everything else in your life is minimized, and when you fear God properly, all other things in your life are put in their proper place. But what is it that you and I do? Individually or in our household, we place other things over and above the place that God is supposed to have in our lives. See, the end of verse 14 is where Joshua tells the people of Israel to put away the gods their fathers served. Put away those gods. The people of Israel had a problem. That problem was they served and worshiped what was most convenient. Do you remember in Exodus when Moses is on Mount Sinai? Moses up there getting the law from God. God is talking to him, like directly to him. And the people at the bottom of the mountain think he's been gone for too long. So what do they do? 
You know, they, they build a calf. They, they, they fashion something together and they build a calf and they worship it. God is talking to their leader, but at the bottom of the mountain, they think that it's not convenient enough. So they worship something else. False worship had been a hallmark of their history, and the people had never really rid themselves of the past life of worshiping other things. And Joshua knows if they don't put away their false gods, it will destroy their families, and it will destroy their culture. And you and I, as you hear me talking, you can easily look at the people of Israel and say, Adrian, that, that's old-fashioned that they would build something and worship it, worship it. And I would say it may be old-fashioned that they build it and worship it, because they would, as Leviticus says, they would, they would make sacrifices to, to a goat idol. Or Moses would even say the things that you're worshiping is actually demons. And we say we would never do that. We don't build anything to worship it. But I would say that our problem is the same thing that the Israelites had. Our hearts can be captured by something so much that we worship that instead of worshiping God. You say, Adrian, I never worshiped the, the goddess of agriculture, Demeter who was worshipped to provide. That's crazy. Yet you worship the God of workaholism in the name of providing more for your family, yet time is slipping away with them one hour at a time. Or you say, I, I'd never worship the God Zeus who was known for power and might, yet you manipulate control and verbally bash anyone who disagrees with you. Or you say, you know, maybe you don't go to a temple like the Israelites did and sacrifice your your children to a false god, but you put them through so much training and practice that for their sport that you're worshiping the God of their success and of yours. You see, we still worship things other than God. The people of Israel had this problem and they wanted all other things in life, but then they wanted God too. Idol worship is something that dates way back, but it's also something that you and I do today. The Israelites thought this fault, these false gods would bring significance and value, and, and I'm telling you that they didn't, and yours won't either. Yours won't either. So you ask Adrian, what makes an idol? Tim Keller in his book, Counterfeit Gods, says this, an idol is anything that you feel if you had, life would be complete, or anything that if you lost would make life hardly worth living. That's an idol. What what in your life do you feel like my life would finally be complete if I had this? Or if I lost that one thing, it, my life wouldn't be worth living for. You see, an idol is a good thing. Most of the things that we worship other than God are good things, but they hold the place of God in your life. You see, you worship what you value most. You, I, you and I worship what we value most. You want to know what you worship, look at where you spend most of your excess time and your excess money. Where do you spend it? It doesn't mean that you, you are worshiping that thing, but it could be an indicator. So you say, Adrian, how does this matter to family? Parents, whatever you place the most value on in your household or in your kid's life will likely be what they worship. Whatever you place the most value on or whatever you talk to your kids about the most will likely be what they worship. If sports is primary in your home, they'll worship the God of success and wins and losses. If, if academics is the pinnacle of what you push, they will worship the God of A's and be crushed and devastated over anything less than that. 
For the single person sitting in the room, perhaps it's a romantic relationship. You feel that if you find the right person, your life will finally be fulfilled and complete, yet no person, not even the best one, can give you all your soul needs. What do all of these, of what I just mentioned, what do all of these have in common? They're all good. Sports, grades, relationship, love, all of those things are good. They're just not ultimate. But we can take good things and turn them into ultimate things. And that's what Joshua is warning against. Tim Keller would also say this, when anything in life is an absolute requirement for your happiness and self-worth, it is essentially an idol, something you are actually worshiping. Joshua would look at his people and say, depart from that. Leave, flee, turn around and go the other direction. So you say, Adrian, you've, you've made your case. What, what do I do? What do I do? I would say personally and with your family, here's what you must do. You can identify your idols by asking these two questions. They'll be on the screen. What makes you angry? What makes, what makes you most angry? So here's, here's why I say that. When we get angry, it's often when something is threatened or when we lose what we want. What makes you angry more often than not? The second one is this. What do you spend most of your time defending? When, when, when something is questioned in your life, what is it that you spend most of your time defending? Because we defend what we value most. I'm going to be transparent with you for a moment. <clears throat> for me, it's, it's not sports. It's not academics. It's, it sure isn't academics uh, for me. Um, what I find that I defend and what makes me angry is any time, and I found this over the years, and it's been called out on numerous occasions when, when my competency or my ability is called into question. If someone thinks that I can't do something or that I'm not good enough, that's when I defend, that's when I get angry, and that's when I'll tend to hold a grudge. It's when that is called into question and I can sense it in my life whenever I feel as though, yeah, I'm having to defend either straight to a person or defend in those conversations that you actually never have with a person. Those, you know what I'm talking about, that you're mowing grass and you have those conversations with somebody. When, when, what makes me angry or what, what I defend is when, is when that's called into question. So perhaps it could be that I worship the God of, of either control or, or success. I'm only successful when people think that I'm accomplished or good enough. So my questions for you today, and I wish we had more time to dive into this, is what makes you angry and, and what do you spend most of your time defending? This week in your life group, you're, you're going to jump into those questions. If you're in a life group, you're, you're going to see these this week. And if you're not in a life group, it's, it's on the, the sermon notes for you to take home. But I would encourage you, the best way to work through this is through a group of people who are who are helping you and being willing to say, yeah, that's, that's when I see you get most angry. If you're not in a group, but you, you want to work through this, take this home with your spouse or someone who knows you best and, and work through this content. But once you identify your idols, here's the, the second point of application. You, you, they got to be replaced. Identifying them is one thing, but then they've got to be replaced. Maybe, maybe you worship the God of comfort and security, and as long as everything in your life is good and finances are good, then, then you can be settled. The thing is, Matthew 6 tells us that God knows all we need, and he provides all we need. 
So instead of worshiping comfort and security, you, you worship the God who provides that. Or if everything in your life has to be so in place that you're a, what everybody else would call a control freak, I would say even on your best day, we have limited control, so instead we trust an all-powerful, all-knowing God. If you, like me, struggle with, with worshiping people's approval, then you must understand daily that God's approval is all you need for everlasting joy. If you're worshiping the God of love, like you, you want to feel loved by someone, God's love is like an ocean compared to the vapor or mist of love that you're looking for in someone else. Understand that since the foundation of a flourishing family is choosing what you worship, the second thing we have to see this morning is choose to serve God right now. Choose to serve God right now, or, or as Joshua would say, choose this day. Choose today. Look at somebody beside you and say, today. Okay, six of y'all did. I'm going to give you one more chance. Look at somebody beside you and say, today. Joshua says, choose to serve God right now, today. He's looking at these people, the leaders and influencers of his people, and he says, do not delay. Don't delay choosing to serve God. I know it could be easy for some of you to say, well, once I get into a place where my life is a bit more settled and, and because I'm so busy right now and one day I'll be in a good place and I'll be in a more healthy place, then I'll be able to put Jesus at the center. There's two problems with that. One, that day's probably never going to come. And secondly, if you don't choose today to lead your household to serve God faithfully, what is at stake? Like Joshua drawing the line of the sand, this is an intentional decision that you have to make every single day. Maybe you say, Adrian, isn't that putting too much emphasis on us choosing and not enough on God? Joshua told the people, in light of all that God has done for you, you must choose. Usually in Scripture, we see God doing the choosing, but the burden here is on us. It's an intentional decision and choice to serve God. You and I do not drift into godliness. We don't accidentally drift into godliness. Several years ago, it's been a long time ago, actually, one of my, my friends and I, uh, we, we went to the beach, and, and one of which I'd probably plan to a T, but, but, but we went to the beach, and, and he did not believe... I do. I fully trust in directions. He did not believe in directions. Well, the beach we chose to go to should have taken us about four and a half hours. So we, we spent a few days down there. We're on the way back. And I said, I, I think we should go this way because that was before a map was on a phone and I looked at a road atlas. So I, my dad was a truck driver growing up, so I knew those very well. So, so I said, I think we take this road and this road. And I just explained how we need to go back. And he said, he said no, I, I know how to do it. Seven and a half hours later... We get, back to, we, we get back to Old Fort. All right, I, I, was, I, was, I was mad, and, and that, that reveals some things about me. I, w- I was a bit upset, but, but he was just saying, no, we, we'll just figure it out as we go. Well, here's the thing. If we say that about our relationship with God, that I'm just going to figure it out as I go, there's no intentionality behind it. We're not going to drift toward godliness. As a matter of fact, we often are going to drift the opposite direction because things in our life pull us away from what following Jesus could actually be and 
And that's why intentionality is so vitally important. Doing youth ministry for so long, I've encountered numerous parents that, that hope the best for their kids in terms of, of hoping for them spiritually, yet they take kind of a hands-off approach. They want their kids to get through high school without any hiccups, any major bumps or bruises. And I can empathize with you as, as, a, as a parent who's not far from having a kid go to school. I, 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 don't, I don't want him to, to have any major hiccups, bumps, or bruises. But, but if that's all I hope for, that's all I'm going to get. If all I hope for my son is that he just makes it through, then guess what he's going to do? He's going to just make it through. But what if, what if I was able to paint a, a picture for him of what following Jesus actually looks like, the ups and the downs, and, and I was able to show him, hey, this is what life really is like, and I don't want you to just get through. I want you to know and serve Jesus. I, I, I don't want to discourage some of you. Because some of you have invested spiritual time in the life of your kids, but here's the thing. If I hope, just hope that my son walks with God and just think maybe one day something will click, either that's all I'm going to get or I'm likely going to miss opportunity day in and day out to point and direct him toward Jesus. The Bible says, train up a child in the way he should go and he will not depart from it. That's not a guarantee. But it's a probability. When you shoot for a bullseye on a target, you, unless you're just very, very good, you won't hit it every time, but you're going to be closer than not having a target at all. And if knowing and loving Jesus matters more to your household than anything else, you're going to have a family that knows and loves Jesus more than anything else. I'm going to say that one again. If knowing and loving Jesus matters more to your household than anything else, you're going to have a family that knows and loves Jesus more than anything else. You see, as, as, as people who are looking for their family to flourish, we, we need to remember that Jesus is one who lived a perfect life and died so that our sin could be forgiven. And because of his resurrection, we have more hope than anyone else in this world. And that's why we're pointing our household to live for Jesus. And Joshua told the people this. And he said, listen... If you're okay with having something else in the way, that's fine. But as for me and my household, we're going to what? We'll serve the Lord. I don't want anybody to, to think this is coming from a place of, of condemnation. This is, this is coming from a place of, of burdensome communication of wanting you to know that if you don't lead your household to know and love Jesus, then it's not going to happen. Parents, you can choose for your family to follow Jesus on this day. There's no point in putting it off. Right? There's so much more to gain, but there's also even more to lose if you don't do it. Singles, I, I know that culture pushes an agenda of what the good life is like or, or what fun actually is, but the decision is for you to follow Jesus today. And it's also not a decision that's going to happen today and then not have to happen again tomorrow. But it's some resolve that you and I must have in order to follow and choose to follow Jesus. So I have one question. One question as, 
as I'm wrapping this up and, and that you'll work through in your life group, what is keeping you from serving Jesus today? What is it? What is keeping you from serving Jesus today? Most likely, as we've seen already, it's not anything that's bad. It's probably something good. But it's something that is standing in the place or sitting on the throne of your heart that only belongs to God. What is keeping you from following Jesus? What is in the way? This is... This isn't a time for you to think, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think on this and talk about it later. This would be good conversation on your way home or on your way to lunch to, to reflect on, discuss, and then take immediate action. What's in the way? What, what makes me angry? What, what do I spend time defending? What is in the way of keeping me from serving Jesus? And I would say this, if you today choose to worship the one who gave his life for you and you choose to lead your household to worship that Jesus. As I said, there's no, there's no guarantee from there. But you're well on your way to seeing a household flourish, to seeing your family flourish, to seeing your kids and your grandkids, your friends flourish. And that's our desire. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the word that you have provided to us. God, we, we trust it. And Lord, we ask today that you would use Lord, what has been preached and said and sung, and Lord, apply it. Holy Spirit, take and apply your word as you see fit. Lord, that we would, we would see a, a region of people and a region of families flourishing because of, because of people who decided and didn't put off. They decided today to put away whatever they value most, if it's not you, and they decided to, to choose this day to, to serve and follow you. So God, I ask right now for, for anyone who's living for something else and, and they're looking for something else to, to fulfill them, I pray that you would, as only you can do, show Show how you bring fulfillment so much more than anything else we place at the center of our lives. Lord, lastly, I pray for those in here leading the household. Lord, you give endurance as, as days leading, particularly leading kids, can be difficult. Lord, that you would give boldness. And Holy Spirit, that you would empower us to to lead our families the way that you have called us to. In Jesus' name, amen.